From the Sierra Madre, it's the IGN Digigods. Now please welcome two men who don't need to show you any stinking badges, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. Uh-oh. Corey, who made the uh, Treasure of the Sierra Madre reference? That was sent in by Chevelle Dixon, and I would like to see his stinking badge. You know, a lot of people actually think that line, uh, people who are less movie savvy, they think that that line is um, a Blazing Saddles line. You mean they it's not? No. It's whatever. Anyway, we're going to talk about Blazing Saddles today as well. That's an anniversary Blu-ray release. Uh, but first, Mark, how about that Donald Sterling? That's... That's an old story now. I know. We're over it. We're on it's, to something but else. But it's still funny. I just... It's, it's really... It's tragic on many levels, and, and, you know, not to make light of it, but I just have such a, such a deep, deep loathing for Donald Sterling, and always have. It's, look, anybody who lives in L.A. has just, for years, when the Clippers were in the basement, you're just like, why, why does he even own the team? Like, what's the point? He's just... He bought wh- the team for, like, $13 million. I know. It's just, and, he, and, you know, if he winds up selling it, which he'll never do, he'll, he'll, he'll get hundreds, forever, of, hundreds of millions out he'll of get, it. He'll, he'll get half a billion dollars out of that, yeah. of profit out of that thing. Yeah. What's funny is that, like, you know, it was the worst kept secret in sports that he was a dirtbag. It's not but even yet, a secret. It's, it, but it's yet, like, when everybody was making money, nobody cared. Yeah. Now, suddenly, he's a dirtbag who's now affecting the business of the NBA yeah. with sponsors pulling out and whatnot. So now yeah. suddenly everyone cares he's a dirtbag. Yeah. When everyone's making money, nobody cared he was a dirtbag. Yeah. Now that you're affecting the bottom line, everyone cares he's a dirtbag. Yeah. Welcome to uh, capitalism. One of the most America. notorious slumlords in, in L.A. history. And, you know, anyway. Nothing to do with DVDs, but certainly if you live in L.A., it's, it continues to be the conversation, the topic of conversation. That is uh, true. And uh, <laughs> I thought Donald, Donald Trump came out with a quote. It's almost as if he felt, wait a minute, this guy, is, uh, he's a billionaire named Donald who, uh, who likes uh, arm candy. I must stick up for our club. Uh, you, you remember Donald, Tr- Donald Trump came out and he's like, you know, she was a very, very bad girlfriend for re- recording him. <laughs> it's like, What? She's a very bad girlfriend. What is there a, a manual for how to be like obedient arm candy? I don't understand that reference. When you're anyway. when you're a 31 year old dating an 80 year old, I mean, what who's what, married? I mean, what 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 do you expect? Uh, Mother know. Teresa? Whatever. All right, Mark. Uh, we should we should go through. We have a ton of uh, a ton of movies that are like you know uh, classic films that have a been ton? released. A ton that have been released just in the past few weeks. And uh, we, should, we should blow through these very quickly, just so everybody knows that they're out there. There's some really amazing stuff out there. First, however, I want to make mention of a, uh, a Film Chest release. Film Chest, again, doesn't release a lot of stuff that often, but they do release, um, they do release you know, great movies when they come out, and they really, the DVDs are really first rate. Even if they're, I mean, in many cases, they look better than comparable Blu-rays. Uh, and Film Chest has a, uh, an HD restoration on DVD, from the original elements of Hedy Lamar in The Strange Woman. Appropriate, again, because in Blazing Saddles... what Hedley. Thank you. Uh, Hedley Lamar. Uh, Hedy Lamar, who, of course, is Austrian-born, but a, uh, a, an amazing actress with, a, with just uh, made a lot of really cool films. And uh, Hedy Lamar in The Strange Woman, also starring uh, George Sanders. And uh, this is a classic film uh, that has been released in a number of different versions, all of them fairly crappy-looking. A few were okay. Uh, I think some public domain companies released a lot of these, but uh, anyway, it's uh, this is one of the one of the classic kind of femme fatale films of the era, and it's from 1946. 
Definitely worth checking out. Wonderful restoration uh, release from Film Chest. And then a bunch of stuff from Warner Archive. Um, you can get all of these at warnerarchive.com. We have got uh, A Slight Case of Larceny. This is an MGM film of the time, starring the late Mickey Rooney, along with Eddie Bracken and Elaine Stewart. i got to tell you, Mickey Rooney and Eddie Bracken in a movie together is like the original Revenge of the Nerds. Uh, that, is, that is a pairing I didn't even realize existed. And uh, in this case, they're you know, a couple of guys who... Uh, Boy, I just really are not up to snuff with anything that they do, especially when they're in the army together. And uh, it's a it's a pretty fun little uh, little geek fest. It really is uh, from from back in the day. Wildcat Bus, starring Faye Ray and Charles Lang, uh, not quite as interesting as I thought that it probably might be. Um, it's kind of a it's kind of a, uh, it's a, it's a, it feels put together very, very quickly for, and it's a B-movie, by, by the way, it's a, in, a, in the classic sense, not just a B-movie in terms of quality, it was a movie that was made to be shown on the second end of a double bill. Um, you watch the A movie and then you watch the B movie, that's the way that, that's why they called them B-movies, they wanted people to stick around for the double bill. Anyway, uh, it's, uh, you know, it's okay, the whole thing kind of takes place uh, centered around, centered around a, a bus line. Uh, called Wildcat Bus, and uh, Ferre is the, uh, the you know uh, is is a manager there, and the whole thing is kind of a wannabe noir, not not the greatest. It's, it just feels kind of rushed. Uh, a women's prison film starring Eleanor Parker and Agnes Moorhead called Caged. This is an old Warner Brothers movie, definitely in the uh, in the noir uh, vein from 1949. And uh, Eleanor Parker, of course, also recently passed away. She was best known as the Countess in The Sound of Music. And um, it's a women in prison movie. What do you want? I, you know, it's, it's, it kind of sets the, uh, the tone for all of those movies. It's better directed than most by John Cromwell, who was a, a real director of the era and has a really wonderful Max Steiner score. Uh, also of note in here is uh, Ellen Corby, who, of course, was the grandmother on The Waltons. Uh, people will recognize her, but it, you know it's it's a it's one of the first women's prison films, and it uh, does pretty much the same thing that they all do, including um, one that we a series that we're going to talk about momentarily. Yeah, look, look at what they sent. Look at this. That's nice, right? Fuh. Yeah, there, there there would be no orange as the new black without that movie. And then we've got uh, Race Street, starring George Raft, William Bendix, and Marilyn Maxwell. Jeez, Marilyn Maxwell is one of those people who just absolutely vanished. Uh, so many, so many actors and actresses from that era who had these like momentary bursts of fame and then gone. Uh, but uh, you know, this is this is uh, this is all right. George Raft and William Bendix are um, play the kind of classic uh, childhood buddies who go different directions. One follows the law, and the other one follows crime. And uh, it's a, it's kind of a noir. Uh, it's a little more in the dramatic vein. It does. It's not quite that exciting. A little bit more of a character study. Uh, not a lot of uh, by by way of twists and turns that you normally get in the noirs. It's not uh, you know uh, Dashiell Hammett or anything like that. Uh, but it, it's it's all right. Uh, Raft and Bendix are terrific actors. And Marilyn Maxwell, you watch this and you just go, why didn't you have a better career? Why didn't you stick around longer? And then the classic Robert Louis Stevenson Treasure Island adaptation uh, starring Wallace Beery and Jackie Cooper, also featuring Lionel Barrymore and Otto Kruger and uh, Nigel Bruce. And this is just an absolutely wonderful movie. This may be the, if you, you know, I would almost say there are only four films that Victor Fleming, Victor Fleming directed a crap load of movies. I mean, a crap load of movies. 
uh, had his name at least on a crap load of movies, only four of them really are worth watching. I would only say there are only four Victor Fleming films where I'm like, you must see that. Some of the others are fine, you know, if you catch it sometime in a rerun, whatever. But obviously Gone with the Wind and The Wizard of Oz. And Wizard of Oz, he didn't even, you know, direct that much of, frankly, but he got his name on it. Those are the two, those are the top two. And then Guy Named Joe and Treasure Island. Those are the ones, those four. And uh, Treasure Island is, this is just a great, great adaptation, especially because Jackie Cooper is amazing. Uh, you know, as a child actor, most of us saw him as kind of a, a big, schlubby, older guy uh, actor, but as a kid, man, he just nailed it. He was absolutely fantastic. Um, so if you want to see the, I mean, and this thing's been done so many times since, but for some reason, this is the one that really resonates. It's just so much fun. Um, You've got to check it out. Really great. 1934, a, a just wonderful adaptation of a great novel. And that's from Warner Archive, and I'm thrilled that they finally got that. So, what else Yay. have we got, Mark? Well, we got Godfather Part 3, which is out on its own separate uh, Oh, because, because a lot of people are going to be like, you know what, I don't really like the first two, don't really want to own them, but I do this one I want. <laughs> This one, this is the one I want because it's standalone. It's great. I don't know what they were thinking. Yeah. Uh, this one, of course, took place or was released many years after Godfather Two. Yeah. And expectations were very high, and Coppola, frankly, was just a different guy. He just did not have True. the, uh, he didn't have the desire and the drive. He wasn't hungry anymore, and it just he revisited the family, and he couldn't get Robert Duvall. He winds up with Sofia Coppola, who. As a director, as, as, as an actress, she's a great director. Put it that way. Yep. Uh, but Pacino does come back. He's in his 60s now. It's, uh, you, you, you get a sense of what, uh, what his decades of power have wrought in the, one of the ultimate tragedies, which happens at the climax of the movie, which I won't tell you about. But uh, Godfather 3, not a great movie. Uh, was nominated for a bunch of Oscars, including Best Picture, mostly out of obligation. Uh, but you know, I would say with Godfather one and two, I don't know why you would buy three as a standalone. I don't either. Uh, double feature Blu-ray. We have Crocodile Dundee and Crocodile Dundee two. Now there was a moment there when Crocodile Dundee was like a thing. Yeah, it came out in '86. It starred uh, Paul Hogan, and at the time, this is of course is pre-internet. Uh, Australia was a little exotic. The crazy accent, mm. you know, the different culture. Yeah. In fact, you know, it's funny. You, you know, Outback Steakhouse. The reason why Outback Steakhouse exists partially is because of Crocodile Dundee. Really? Yes. Are you kidding? Because me? the Outback Steakhouse has nothing to do with like Australia. Like the guys who I'm not even sure the guys who developed it are even Australian. Huh? But at the time, what? But at the time in the mid '80s to late '80s, Australia was hot. It was their bicentennial, and I think the. Um, uh, what's the yacht race? The famous yacht race. Yahtzee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yo. The giggles. Um, you the know America's the uh, Cup. America's Cup. Yeah. It was in Australia. Or Australia had won. Crocodile Dundee came out. Australia was having a moment, mm-hmm. and these restaurant tours said, "You know what? We're gonna take advantage." Wouldn't of it that. be great in a, in a in a yacht race where the the way you you win it is is by yelling Yahtzee. <laughs> Yahtzee. What? Oh, I, I regret telling this story. <laughs> anyway. Um, so Crocodile Dundee was a phenomenon for the time. It was a cute movie. I don't think that he and uh, Linda Kozlowski had much chemistry together, but they wound up getting married. Yeah, I know. Uh, so then they did. Did they have st- kids? That I don't know. I wonder. He left his wife for her or something. I know. Some crap like that. Crazy, yeah. right? Uh, anyway, Crocodile Dundee two is a couple years later. Is not nearly as good. Uh, I thought it was fine just because I had very low low tolerance for movies like mm-hmm. that. I thought it was basically okay. 
Uh, but Crocodile then, Dundee in L.A., man, that was a masterpiece. That, was there a Crocodile Dundee? Yeah, Crocodile Dundee in Los Angeles. Really? You did, that was like, yeah. Oh, here, there was. In 2001. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, my god! It's awesome. That was... Uh, what? And now Paul Hogan Why? is like... Does, does anyone even know... Who he is. What happened the to Paul, Paul Hogan? Paul show is not on DVD right now. Paul Hogan does not have... You know what's funny? Paul Hogan... Paul Hogan Paul Hogan on IMDb only mm-hmm. has 10 credits. Yeah. 10 acting credits. Yeah. You know, three of which are Crocodile Dundee. <laughs> Isn't that bizarre? Yeah. He never had any other career except for Crocodile Dundee. That's it. Didn't need anything else. Anyway, well, he, had, he had the TV show, which was a bit of a bit of a hit before Crocodile Dundee. It's what got him Crocodile Dundee. The Paul Hogan show was a was kind of a hit for a moment in in, uh, in the in the states. Terrible. It's why it's why they got the movies made. You know. It's anyway, uh, DreamWorks. Uh, here's a piece of crap animated film called Spirit, Stallion of the Cimarron. This is just I just didn't. Yeah, there's so yep. many, There's so much good animated stuff out there. Why would I you know. watch Spirit, Stallion? Look, they're they're literally kids who have watched Frozen sixty five hundred times. That if you could just put them in, th- in front of the TV and shut them up and they'll watch Frozen for the hundredth time. Why even have them watch Spirit, Stallion of the Cimarron? Unless you're a ten-year-old girl and you love ponies and you're, you've run out of a, a, a pony animated films. By the way, speaking of Spirit, you, you, Jeffrey Katzenberg has been just like shooting his mouth off this last week. I know about we, 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 uh, the, uh, the future movies. Yeah, but well, everyone's jumping all over him all of a sudden. He's saying like in the future there will be... It's like he's playing Kar- Karnak, you know? In the future... The, oh, not not Karnak, but the uh, the what's the the year two thousand, the the Conan thing. Oh right, right. Yeah, it's like in he's going the in the future. Th- there will be movies and and DVD releases within three weeks of each other. They will overlap. The DVD will come out before the movie. If he was that smart, DreamWorks wouldn't be falling apart. I, that's the thing. DreamWorks animation is is like on its last legs. Well, if it, their whole world is How to Train Your Dragon two. That's that it. thing has to be like the greatest movie ever. Yeah, because you know Shrek was sort of their. Their moment and everything looked like, oh, it's going to be Shrek until the end of time. Shrek 2 was, you know, the, this mega hit. And Shrek 2, you remember why Shrek 2 is legendary? On this show, we talked about it a lot. Shrek 2 was the movie. That was the one that said to everybody, the bottom just fell out of the DVD market. That was the one. That was Shrek 2. Shrek 2 made a, an, an obnoxious amount of money. It became the all-time highest grossing animated film in theatrical release. And there were these formulas, these actuarials at the time that the studios had, had learned to rely on very heavily, which is if a movie makes X amount of dollars in the theater, we can count on it making X amount of money in home release and selling X amount of copies. We can, there's an actual correlation between ticket sales and DVD sales, and we can actually correlate the, the ad spend from the theatrical with the ad spend that we need to do for, you know, it's, it, it all figured out perfectly. It was this like master equation. And for years and years and years and years, it was consistent. It was like movie after movie after movie. And the studios were just like cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. They're just making cash. It's like, we know exactly how much money is going to roll in. And they're telling this in all of their, their conference calls when they were talking to, uh, to investors. You know, every three months, you've got to talk to the, uh, the major investors in your conference call and go, we're doing a really good job and the stock price is going to go yada, yada, yada. It's a silly thing. But they all have to do it. And suddenly, with Shrek 2... It made a giant amount of money, and it gets released on DVD, and nobody buys it. And it, it, it panicked the entire business, because everybody at that time said, holy crap, this, the, the model just changed. It changed overnight, and that was the movie. And it was, it was weird. It was like everyone went and saw Shrek 2 in the theater, and then said, yeah, I don't really need to buy that. 
And that was, it changed everything. And that's when everybody started panicking, and that's when they started cutting independent divisions, and it just, it was, it was the end. Okay, my rant is done. Your rant you know is done, yes. Speaking of, um, 20th Century Fox is releasing Blu-rays with a very, very strange tagline. I always wonder who, who comes up with this stuff. Uh, and they, you're going to see a lot of these now. The uh, Fox Searchlight Pictures is having its 20th anniversary. And um, they're, they're releasing a lot of movies on Blu-ray. And they have this little, these little orange stickers that they're sticking on them. And uh, some of them have just, just the stupid slogan like, We have your story. I don't know what that means. Um, and some of them just say celebrating Fox Searchlight and whatever. But it's, it's very, you know, it, it, it's not a great looking sticker. And I don't really know why you need to celebrate the 20th anniversary of Fox Searchlight. Uh, they're doing well. They just won Best Picture with 12 Years a Slave. That's fine. But, you know, um, it's, it's just 20 mar- years. It's just a marketing not, thing. It's I know, just, it's a, marketing just thing. a hook. Well, anyway, um, if, you are, if you are going to celebrate that 20th anniversary, are you really going to do it with Cedric the Entertainer in Johnson Family Vacation? Hell yeah, I am. Really? No. It's, a, it's, it's like a bad version of vacation with black people. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really understand the point. Uh, anyway, Cedric the Entertainer, lovely guy, very funny. Movie, not funny. Steve Harvey's in this thing, too. And uh, it's just, you know. You just gotta let it go. This this never should have been never should have been made. And you know, uh, Bow Wow, previously known as Little Bow Wow, is in this thing as well. It's just it's kind of a silly Ooh, movie. Bow wow. And then uh, much worthier is the uh, Napoleon Dynamite 10th anniversary edition. Woo! Two disc movie still holds up. I'll tell you, it still holds up. You know, Jared Hess has a new movie that's going to come out. Well, it's about time. Yep. Jared Hess has a new movie uh, coming out. They, these, guys, these guys have gone nowhere. These guys, they, new, they were the hip thing. Got a new movie coming out. Uh, Sam Rockwell's in it. Uh, Jermaine, Jermaine Clement is in it. Good, funny people. Jermaine Clement? Jermaine Clement. Is that Mr. and Mrs. Clement's kid? Jermaine Clement from uh, Flight of the Concords. Okay. The, you know who I'm talking about. No, I don't know. He's the big guy. The, the Flight of the Concords, the big guy. I, did, did you see Dinner for Schmucks? Yes, I did. Okay. Which is a horrible, horrible, dreadful, abomination, horrible remake of uh, The Dinner Game. Which, like, you almost don't even know. If you've seen The Dinner Game and you watch Dinner for Schmucks, you would never imagine that it's the same movie. It's what it is. It's, it's stupid. Because The Dinner Game never actually gets to the dinner. The, the Dinner for Schmucks does, and it's just dreadful. But anyway, in Dinner for Schmucks, he's the, he's the, the, the crazy kind of uh, artsy dude with the long hair. And the oh, right, right, right. He steals right. the movie. He, he, was, he, he was the funniest part he's of the, He's the only funny thing I, in that I, movie. I remember him. He's the only funny thing in that sure. movie. Anyway. He's in, in the Jared Hess film. Dead. So Napoleon Dynamite, uh, you know, made a star out of John Heater for, for a minute or two, and it is, it is still very, very funny. This movie really, really holds up. One of the great independent successes of the last 20 years. And uh, lots of extras on here, outtakes, deleted scenes, audio commentator between Jared Hess and uh, John Heater and uh, their producer, Jeremy Kuhn, and uh, featurettes and the whole deal. So there's great stuff there. And the, the golden one of these 20th century, of these uh, Fox Searchlight releases for me is The Deep End. I love The Deep End. I think this is the best uh, contemporary noir of the last 40 years. What? And the only thing that comes close is The Underneath. Yeah. I think The Deep End and The Underneath are the best noirs that anyone has made in the last 30 years. They are both absolutely straight up great because they are exactly like classic noirs. Uh, Scott McGee and David Siegel, who are just really, really talented and, and uh, had uh, the, the, uh, their, the Maisie film this last year, um, are really great, and uh, you know the amazing thing about this is Tilda Swinton kind of cemented her 
mainstream reputation as a lead actress with this. Uh, this is what took her out of that whole... She's in Snowpiercer. Oh, is she? Oh, yeah. Sweet. She's oh, great. i got to check that out. Now I, got, now I really got to go. Anyway, Josh Lucas kind of came of age in this movie. Gorn uh, Viznik, uh, Vishnik, however you pronounce it, uh, bounced out of ER for a moment and uh, had a moment here. Um, here's the thing. You were not in Lafka at this time. But I'm going to tell you something. I'm going, to, I'm going to reveal a moment. The Deep End had a really interesting thing going on when we voted for Best Actor, Actress that year. Here's what happened in our LAFCA voting. There were three actresses in the first round of voting that, was, that were really high on everybody's list. Okay? Naomi Watts in um, uh, Mulholland Drive, um, uh, Halle Berry in Monster's Ball, and Tilda Swinton in this. Okay? The... The, the way we vote in LAFCA, in case people don't know this, is when you go through a category, everybody goes around and you give three points to your top pick, two points to your second, and one point to your third. And then after everything is done, there's a, a, a point t- tally, and the top two point getters go into a runoff, and then it's just a show of hands, and whoever wins, or it's a, you know, sometimes it's a tie, like this last year we had three, then uh, two, right? Two? Three? Yeah, three. Uh, that's how it goes. So there are weird dynamics that happen. And the top point getters wound up being Naomi Watts and Halle Berry, and uh, Halle Berry wound up winning. Uh, the what was interesting about that is that if they had gone with, and, and I think Tilda Swinton missed the runoff by like th- two or three points, but if Tilda Swinton had gotten two or three points more and gotten into the runoff, she would have won because she had far and away more three-point votes than either of the other two. So... How do you remember all this? This is like I rem- years Because I was tallying. I was tallying. I was, you, do- you, I was a vote you, tallier. You tally every... Every year. Every year. And I remember looking at the numbers and I remember thinking, that is amazing. That is a weird dynamic. That because the others got more second and third place votes, they wound up getting more points. But if she had just had a few more points, maybe one or two more second or third place votes, she'd have gotten into the runoff and she would have won. Oh, my Christ. There were more people who liked her as a, as a number one choice than either of the other two. But because she didn't get as many second and third place votes, that was it. So, fascinating. Anyway, fascinating dynam- dynamic. All right. Wow. Yes. That is a great story. Yes. You Indeed it is. You know what else is a great story? What else is great? The Big Red One. I love the Big Red One. This is the, this is the uh, Blu-ray release of the, uh, the, the recent director's this cut. This is the director's cut. Love it. Now, love blue, it. Uh, best, red... best film that he ever made. Oh, Sam Fuller? Yeah. Really? Yeah, best film Sam. That because the rest lot. is all kind of, you know, hysterical, pitched crap. And we what? love it because it's crap. I, uh, you love Sam Fuller's movies because he's a crazy man. That's he, why we like it. You, you love him because, well, first of all, I love Pick Up on South Street. Pick Up on South yeah, Street good. is one of my favorite yeah, noirs of all time. In fact, I wish Criterion would come, up with, would come out with Pick Up on South Street on yes. Blu-ray. They have not done it yet. Shot Corridor doesn't quite hold up, if you ask me. It's kind of goofy. Um, but, uh, yeah, Sam Fuller was really super, super cool. Mm-hmm. But Big Red One is great. There was the Big Red One, and then there was the Big Red One, The Reconstruction. Yes. And that's what this includes. Mm-hmm. Now, the reason why uh, our fans may want to know about The Big Red One is because it's pretty much the only movie of worth besides the Star Wars trilogy, mm-hmm. that starred Mark Hamill. Mark Hamill was in The Big Red One. I know. And that's like a prestige film. Yeah. So Mark Hamill, who almost did nothing beyond Star Wars, mm-hmm. he did do The Big Red One. I see Mark Hamill every so often. What? He lives like 
four blocks away from me. Um, you know, there was a shot of him. He Instagrammed a shot of himself yeah. recently. Yeah. He's he lost because he was getting fat. I was getting I fat. I know. He lost a lot of weight because for, for the Star Wars movie. For the Star Wars. He's like movie. I gotta get in shape. Yeah. I know. All he's been doing is the voice now, of the Joker and Batman animated stuff. Now Carrie Fisher, she's no spring chicken anymore, mm-hmm. and she's looking pretty bloated too. Now I have no idea if they're asking her to lose weight because <laughs> she's got to lose like fifty pounds. I mean, Harrison Ford has stayed pretty fit, you know. Yeah, uh, it, it's it, it's seriously that's that's gonna. I don't know if that's gonna work bringing all of them back. I really oh, don't. Just, it just feels it feels like you know. It, uh, it's just too convenient. It's like like in real life they'd all be dead or or would, on some crazy planet you never see them. It's just it just feels like you know a lot of bionic hip replacement jokes. I, I don't know. <laughs> By the, by the way, Beverly Hills Cop, they're doing another one. I know. In March of 2016. Brett Ratner. Oh, my gosh. Don't, doesn't Brett Ratner realize he's like the most hated? Like He's like synonymous with crap. He must know he is synonymous with crap. I don't think he cares. He's got to. I don't think he cares. I've interviewed the guy. He really has just it, blinders. The world is what he thinks it is. It's. There's a funny story about... Um, he, was, he directed that third X-Men movie. By the way, Donald Sterling. You know what he said? You know what he said in an interview about uh, about the woman who made the tape? That's Diviano, girlfriend, lady. This is like a week old, but yes. Yeah, I know. We should paint her off. Well, exactly. really? What do you? Be more discreet. Anyway, I'm just. I, I just think all this stuff is funny. Sorry, anyway, carry on. Oh, I, it was. Uh, I, the story is. The, here's a short and inaccurate version of the story. Brett Ratner, he directs the uh, X-Men movie. Mm-hmm. He is so far over his head. He winds up calling Bre- uh, Brian Singer on the phone and saying, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> Can you please tell me how to direct all these actors and, this, and all these effects and all this green screen? I just don't know how to do it. Because he had never really done a film of that scale. So he called up Brian Singer and he said, I've got all these young boys and these twins around me. I'll, I, I, I will trade know. you the young boys for one piece of advice on how to direct this big movie. Anyway, Big Red One, highly recommended. Uh, uh, it's just awesome. It is an awesome film. Uh, Bridges of Madison County. Uh, Not an awesome film. I hate this movie. Uh, you know, it's weird. It's and like I'm I, really looking forward to Jersey Boys. I just want to say I'm, I'm down with Clint. I think Jersey Boys is going to be an amazing film. I'm looking forward. It's the only movie this summer that I'm really looking forward to, the only studio film. But this thing bored me. Bored me... Until I, I felt like I was sawdust. It was just, it was lugubrious. Clint has a very, uh, he has an aesthetic. Yeah. It's extremely slow moving, slow evolving aesthetic. Boy, it's, it sort of matches his, uh, his gait, his walk, his vibe. It, it matches how he directs movies. Bridges of Madison County, what we're trying to say, was boring as crap. Yeah. And I'm sorry, I don't want to see Meryl Streep and and, uh, and Clint Eastwood like make out or be lovers or anything like that. Yeah, not interested. But it was a big deal at the time because Bridges of Madison County was a huge, huge book. So, and it was considered a totally prestige project because Clint's directing it, he's starring in it. Meryl Streep, they got a lot of great people. Edited by Joel Cox, uh, the screenplay was by um, Richard Lagravenez from uh, Fisher King. So it was like a big deal prestige movie. But in mm-hmm. the end, it was just so boring. A rare Clint. Almost complete misfire. But a lot of people love this movie. I know people who just will, when, I, when they hear me say, I don't like that movie, they punch me. Really? Yeah. They can't. That's they terrible. Just, it, Why horrible. would they do that? Yeah, I don't know. And then uh, Memphis Bell, uh, not a great film, directed by Michael Caton Jones, produced by David Putnam, the Oscar winning uh, and Palm d'Or winning producer of uh, Chariots of Fire and The Mission. 
who has not really been much of a producer for years. He briefly ran Columbia Pictures uh, at the time that you know he greenlit things like uh, The Last Emperor and uh, Hope and Glory, and it was a, it was a good time. And then he got pushed out by Coca Cola because he made films that were a little too artsy and prestigious and not crappy enough, and uh, that's too bad. But Columbia really did well under him, and this is not his best film. It's not Michael Caton Jones's best film, but it is a good film, and it's based on the story of the Memphis Belle, most famously popularized in a short film, a documentary short uh, during World War II, made by William Wyler, about the uh, the amazing the crew of this amazing uh, bomber, this legendary B-17, known as Memphis Belle, and uh, stars Matthew Modine and Tate Donovan, D.B. Sweeney, Billy Zane, Sean Astin, Harry Connick Jr. Eric Stoltz, uh, you know, uh, it's just a, 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 you know, a really great cast. Wonderful score by George Fenton. Uh, the movie ages surprisingly well. It's, uh, it's better now than it was at the time. I still don't think it's a great film, but I actually enjoyed it more. It, it's, it, it feels a little more of a, like, a, like an old school classic movie now that it's aged a bit. And you do actually have the original uh, William Wyler documentary in here as well, so you can uh, kind of compare everything and get a sense of it. And it makes a wonderful transition to Blu-ray, I will say that. Uh, but as for Michael Caton Jones, i got to say, still his best film, Rob Roy. Yes. Good Blu-ray, though. It's a good-looking Blu-ray. I like Blu-ray. that movie. Good-looking Blu-ray. Good uh, Carter Burwell score. Yep. Uh, we have two from Spielberg. We have Amistad with Morgan Freeman, Anthony Hopkins, uh, Digimon Hansu. You know and what? Matthew you know what? I got to tell you, the, uh, Amistad. I, I just think it, the only things I remember about Amistad is it, 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 everyone overacts in that movie. Anthony Hopkins uh, acts with his lamb chops, right? His John Quincy Adams That's uh, right. hair, they, like the, the lamb chop hair, does all the acting for him. And all I remember is Jaiman Hunsu. In this is this is when you know, even if you're an Oscar-winning director and you're a legendary director and you directed like films that have made gobs and gobs of money, you you still can have a moment where you space out and don't realize that an actor just delivered a dreadful moment in a dreadful way, and you think it's a good take. When Jaiman Hunsu stands up in court and says, "We want free," okay, I'm sure everybody on the set probably thought, "What a moving moment." Me in the theater watching that, you know what I thought the next line should be? <laughs> Putting on the Ritz. That's what it felt like. It's like, uh, this is a horrible line delivery. This is a dreadful moment. This is campy. It really is. We well, because it was Spielberg in his give me an award moment. You know, yeah. he has the Lincoln, the Schindler's you List, the Amistad. He wanted this to be the ultimate document of, of slavery. Don't ever be on the nose. My biggest complaint about movies and screenplays in general is when people are on the nose. There is a thing called subtext. You don't actually have to say a thing to say a thing. You know, you can let other things in the scene say it. And we want free is on the nose. The, the, if anybody ever hands me their screenplay to read, the one thing you will usually see the most in it is OTN on the nose. It's, it's my biggest peeve. When people say things, they say what they mean. I don't like that. Look, as a Jew, I don't appreciate on the nose. Well, there you go. Carry anyway, on. I'm a stud. Uh, you know, whatever. Uh, now, Spielberg now, if you ask me, he doesn't... Uh, Spielberg just... He's a little rudderless in the last, like, ten <laughs> years. He, doesn't, he just sort of does, like, stuff. Here, here's something I'll do. And one of those films is The Terminal. Not a bad film. It's I, re- with, I remember what you said. At the t- you remember what you said to me at the time when we talked about when this was announced? Uh, I did not. You, you said, doesn't this feel like the movie that they all decided to make between other movies? <laughs> really is true. They all yeah. had a hole in their schedule and yeah. they decided to make the terminal. Yeah. Yeah, you know, look, it's an interesting conceit. Tom Hanks plays this, uh, this Eastern European visitor while he's at the airport in New York. 
his uh, country uh, goes to war. So he cannot enter the United States because his passport is from a country that doesn't really exist. It's in the middle of a coup. And he can't go back home because his home country is in a war. So he literally has to live in the terminal mm-hmm. until his country's coup is over. And isn't that guy still the, living in a terminal? The real he? guy? Isn't I, he... Isn't he has he or has he moved to a different terminal oh, or a different no, airport? No, there's no way. This movie was made in 2004. He'd know. been living in the terminal for, t- for ten years. That'd be awesome, wouldn't that be great? I mean, how much cinnabon can a guy eat <laughs> in ten years? <laughs> anyway, th- you know what? Look, I'm not saying this is a bad film. It's fine. It's a nice. It's a sweet little comedy. Uh, it's very. It's very nice. Tom Hanks is terrific. Catherine Zeta Jones at the height of her beauty. Uh, it's very nice. But I just. I think any ten other people could have directed this movie. You do not need Steven Spielberg to direct this movie, unless probably true. He has a hole in his schedule. Yeah. Uh, yes. All right. I'm gonna let me go through some olive films, and then we'll uh, we'll hit Blazing Saddles and move on to some other things after that. Um, we got four films from Olive here. They uh, continue to very successfully mine the uh, Paramount Library. Johnny Come Lately, terrific James Cagney film from uh, 1943, very Capra esque in many respects. Uh, this is. Um, and actually, really very, very Capra-esque. Uh, directed by William K. Howard, who was just one of those you know, regular studio guys. 1943. Uh, basically a down-and-out newspaper guy who gets a second shot at it and uh, becomes kind of a corruption fighter as a newspaperman. Um, a lot of interesting things that could really apply to the digital age as well and the Internet and uh, today's versions of yellow journalism. Uh, Cagney was, uh, was terrific. And, uh, you know, he had, uh, he'd won uh, just the year before a, an Oscar for Best Actor in Yankee Doodle Dandy, so it was a, it was a good year for him. And he was uh, really, really working his new choice of, of options, not being a gangster. And uh, really great. So there's a terrific score in this thing as well, and uh, I really recommend it on Blu-ray. Johnny Come Lately looks really good. Olive did another really good job there. Love Happy. Uh, one of the lesser-known Marx Brothers movies, to be honest, from 1950. Uh, it was the, the very last film that the Marx Brothers did, and you can tell they're getting older, and they're not quite as sharp as it used to be, and their whole style has changed. Like, the movies have sort of passed them by. By 1950, it's a, it's a different world. They're, they're, you know, the, the 1930s style that they were accustomed to doesn't really... It, it's not really the, the new thing, but... You know, they were smart enough to uh, stick Marilyn Monroe in this movie, and uh, not bad. Also smart enough to um, hire Frank Tashlin to be the co-screenwriter. So the the whole the, the story of the film is basically a Harpo story. But Frank Tashlin, who of course would go on to write a lot of very funny movies and direct a lot of uh, very very funny Jerry Lewis movies, does a pretty good sc- uh, version with the screenplay. The only problem here is that everybody's getting a little bit you know long in the tooth, but. Groucho still Groucho, Harpo still Harpo, Chico still Chico, and Zeppo and Gummo are nowhere to be seen because they gave up on this uh, this silly act long ago. Because frankly, they're not funny. They're the two who weren't funny. Three of them were, two of them weren't. And uh, do you even know what Zeppo and Gu- what uh, Zeppo and Gummo look like? I, I Gummo was in one movie, and yes. Zeppo was in two. Yes. Something like that. Uh, they just, look like uh, they're they just guys. They're two, just two arms, two legs, and a yeah. nose. A couple of guys, and they're 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 like oh, we don't really you know our brothers talked us into it. Anyway, uh, so ninety one brisk minutes in love happy with Marilyn Monroe and the Marx Brothers. Uh, worth checking out. Not not the best, but you know it's a, it's a nice little thing. Uh, Home of the Brave, also a terrific terrific film based on a play by Arthur Lawrence, who uh, wrote the uh, wrote Rope. And um, this is one of the earlier films to deal with race in the movies. 1949, rough time to be really tackling race. 
you know, you're, you're between World War II and uh, the Korean War, and everybody kind of wants to, you know, get on with things. So here you have a story of a, uh, a black soldier who's had a nervous breakdown uh, that results in him being paralyzed through a, a strange medical condition that uh, you'll understand better when you watch the, uh, the film. But um, anyway, the, the, it is all about racial discrimination uh, from the military standpoint, and it is a really, really powerful film, still very powerful, beautifully directed by Mark Robson, who was one of the early guys, you know, at the time, really very kind of heavy-hitting guys. And get this, get the rest of the credit. Stanley Kramer produced it. Of course, Stanley Kramer, big, you know, kind of social activist. He was the guy that was really kind of driving things very early on about making social statements in movies. And uh, screenplay by Carl Foreman. Carl, Carl Foreman. Foreman. Carl Foreman, who, of course, was one of the blacklisted writers at the time, would go on to, to write High Noon, um, among many other you know, great, great scripts. Anyway, uh, really, really a seminal film, legendary film. Lloyd Bridges is fantastic in this movie. Uh, everybody's fantastic in this movie. Steve Brody's great. I mean, they're just all really, really good. So definitely worth watching. Uh, Home of the Brave. And then lastly from the Olive Line, uh, John Wayne and Flying Tigers, as long as we're on a World War II thing. This was uh, kind, of a, kind of a big um, technical audience pleaser at the time. And, uh, you know, it's about, a, about a, a group of American soldiers before the United States entered the war, before, you know, Japan bombed Pearl Harbor and the United States entered World War II. This is about a, um, uh, a bunch of guys who went to basically fight the Japanese on behalf of China. And uh, great pilots, and John Wayne does his John Wayne thing, and, you know, everybody else kind of uh, gets into his orbit. Uh, wonderful music by Victor Young, which is really one of his better scores. And Victor Young wrote a lot of great scores, and this one is really first rate. Otherwise, some great flying footage, and uh, it's a fun movie to watch. It's, you know, a, uh, it's not a legendary film. It's not a great war film by any means, but it's definitely worth watching. It's very fun and enjoyable. Look away. There you go. All right. Mark? Yes. Blazing Saddles. Now, Blazing Saddles, uh, here's what I'm going to tell you about Blazing Saddles. This is a, a rather thick 40th anniversary edition that I would suggest you do not buy. Because here's what you get. You get, here's what you get that's different from the 17 other versions of Blazing Saddles, well, including I, let me, a couple let me point Blu-rays. Out. I have Blazing Saddles in the Mel Brooks Mega Thing which collection. Which I have, too. Which... I can't, you know, you, you can't sort of swap that out. You can't sort of go, oh, I'm going to, because it's all in one great big brick. Yes. So do I really, I mean, I'm, if I get this, then I'm going to wind up double dipping and owning them both on Blu-ray. Oh, you don't care about that stuff. Yeah. You love that stuff. I'm just, I'm just, I, I care about that stuff. Hypothetical. Uh, here's what you get. Yeah. You get uh, 10 uh, collectible uh, lobby cards, art cards. Don't care. Don't care. You get a brand new uh, featurette called uh, Blaze of Glory, Mel Brooks' Wild Wild West. Don't really care. About the movie and whatever. Whatever. Don't care. Don't care. Um, the rest have been appropriated from other uh, iterations of the uh, DVD and Blu-ray. The additional scenes, the, uh, uh, the 75 pilot episode of the TV series, Black Bart, which was one of the, which was one, Black Bart was one of the original proposed names for the movie. Right. Uh, and uh, yeah Otherwise I just Guys I just don't You know look Blazing Saddles is one of my All time favorite comedies Of all time 100% hands down Every time I see it I laugh uproariously On the AFI's list Of top comedies Of all time It was number six It is an all time classic It deserves every accolade And every 40th anniversary And 50th anniversary It'll ever get But I'm just saying That unless someone Comes up with something To make it worth Double triple Quadruple dipping I, I, I don't know I'm just not buying it but the movie's right. amazing. I mean, the, the movie should be purchased in some form. 
If you don't own Blazing Saddles, you should own this one just because it's the newest and the latest and the greatest. Uh, you know, but it's fine. But um, yeah, all right. Great. Gene all right. Wilder, Cleavon Little. By the way, Cleavon Little. Uh, um, Mel Brooks wanted Richard Pryor to play that role. I know. I'm so glad Cleveland Little did. I know. Richard Pryor would have been fine, but I mean, it's just that's one of those things where you're like, wow, that is a second casting choice, and I'm so glad it happened. Yeah, I love this movie. I really do. And yep. you couldn't make this movie today. People would be afraid of it. I know. It well, was, well, you know, there's a scene with because um, they they say the N word a lot. Yeah. And there's a story about how one of the actors in that first scene where they where, where the two guys, Slim Pickens and the other guy, they ride up to the uh, to the train to the uh, to the gang mm-hmm. and on the working on the on the railroad, and you know, he didn't want to say the N word. No, I know because <laughs> he's a human being and shouldn't want to say the N word. No. So. Cleavon Little had to take the guy aside, and Cleavon Little's African American. Uh, Cleavon Little had to take the actor aside, and the actor was white. And he said, "Look, man, you know what? In, in any other context, I would I would punch in the face. Yeah. But for this, it's good fun. It's a great script. Don't worry about it. Don't be uncomfortable." So he there it is. He wound up saying it, and it's just great. It's just I just love this movie so much. And again, it's a movie. You know, it's like. You couldn't make that movie today, but somehow we made that movie back then. And you know what? We survived as a nation. We sure did. We, sh- we survived Blazing Saddles. We survived yes. all the family. We survived all this stuff as a nation. It's just, I, it, I, it, political correctness drives me crazy. It makes for a less fun world. Let me blow through a, a bunch of crap first, and then I'll let Mark launch into a film that I know he and I are both passionate about. Uh, first, I'm going to make mention of John Malkovich in Deadly Code, which is a DVD ultraviolet in set. The world. Uh, this is from Reken Hill, uh, W-R-E-K-I-N, who, who uh, occasionally releases a few things. Uh, this is a really weird John Malkovich film. He shows up in just some bizarre straight-to-video stuff every once in a while and always makes it interesting, but you kind of go, why would you even want to be in this? Anyway, um, he, here he plays... Boy, this is just so odd. He plays uh, the godfather of a Siberian mob clan... Uh, who have to live in the middle of uh, Transnistria and um, tries to get his grandson to, you know, honor the code of the clan. It's a, it's a, it's a very, very unusual movie uh, directed by Gal- Gabriele Salvatoris, who, you know, Gabriele Salvatoris is the Italian director of uh, Mediterraneo, which won an Academy Award for Best Foreign Language Film. And I'm just watching this, and I'm just thinking, this is the most unusual combination of people and everything. And an Italian film about a Siberian gang with John Malkovich. I don't... Why? Where? How did this movie even happen? It's very strange. Uh, not a bad film, but just vastly unusual. And then uh, here's a bunch of crap. A bunch of just B-movie monster crap. We have a movie here uh, called The Zombinator. Yeah! <laughs> awesome um, the idea clearly being that we want to make basically a, uh, a movie that rips off, I mean look they even rip off the Terminator just with the artwork look at the artwork it's the best it's like the, the Terminator skull artwork except we, we're trying to catch we're trying to ride the Terminator wave and the zombie wave at the same time um, you know about a guy who you know used to be a special ops guy and he's become a zombie killer played by Joseph Avil who's one of the I don't know what he does he must be one of these wrestler dudes He's he's really just muscle head, meathead guy who can't act. 
Um, anyway, uh, and you know, there's a there's a there's a, a guy he has to beat who's a mad scientist who's turning people into zombies. This is a dreadful, absolutely horrible movie. But I'm sure somebody will enjoy the campiness of it. And then we have another one of these uh, stupid monster movie mashups called Poseidon Rex, which is <laughs> about it's basically like, it's like a sea monster that's part uh, Tyrannosaurus Rex, and uh, I guess it winds up being something a bit like uh, like Godzilla. I don't know. It, it it it's not nearly as interesting as anything in Pacific Rim. I thought the uh, the monsters in Pacific Rim were a lot more interesting. Uh, but this is uh, it's a little bit of Jaws and a little bit of Piranha and a little bit of uh, Jurassic Park, all with fairly bad special effects. The only noteworthy thing here is that this is directed by Mark L. Lester. Mark L. Lester. Mark. Yes, sir. You, does the name ring, not ring a bell to you? Uh, he surely does. Why, why would Mark Lester ring a bell? Because that's uh, Richard Lester's uh, son. Is it Richard Lester's son? Is Mark no, Lester's son? No idea. Uh, well, anyway, you know, the, the, the name Mark Lester should be uh, familiar to just about anybody is, uh, with respect to 80s movies and so forth in particular. Um, yeah, Mark Lester has done crap like, you know, Pterodactyl and, and numerous other really cheesy movies. But uh, most no, but of he, them... He, he, but his thing. He, he did two movies I like. He did two movies, well, like three movies of note. He did Commando, first yes, of all. That's good. Yeah, Commando, Firestarter. That's right. right? In the 80s, he did, he did a lot of legendary films. Um, uh, but he also made um, Roller Boogie, which I think is just one of the great films of all time. How about Truck Stop Women? Truck Stop Women, absolutely. No, he's, he's been like kind of... But in, in the 80s was that moment when he had a little bit of, uh, of, of, you know... He was like momentarily a guy. In class of 1984, um, he, made, he made some legit movies then, Armed and Dangerous. So Showdown in Little Tokyo, Extreme Justice. But he's become a schlockmeister and he's lost all credibility. Uh, but the good news is that our names are only four letters apart because I'm Mark L. Kaiser. Well, there he's you go. Mark L. Lester. And then last on the uh, schlock list, my goodness, this was a big bomb. Aaron Eckhart starred in I, Frankenstein 3D, which came out earlier this year and just bombed as hard as anything has ever bombed. Uh, Stuart Beatty directed this thing and wrote this thing and will probably not get another gig ever. This, made a, this lost a ton of money. Aaron Eckhart plays essentially Frankenstein's monster, Frankenstein's creature, uh, in f- two centuries in the future. And uh, there's this bizarre, like, supernatural battle going on between fallen angels and men. And it's like this very strange genre uh, mashup that, uh, you know, I guess worked better in a graphic novel. But here you're just, I don't know. Aaron Eckhart's not a star, man. Not, not a star. Anymore. Not a star. He had a moment. It was like he was, he was trying to reach escape velocity. I've heard so many stories, too. You know, my wife produced the, uh, most of their short films in film school together. Really? Did you know that? I've, I heard all these stories about Aaron being like the crazy method actor, you know. Like, he's, like he, they catch a rabbit on the side of the road, and he has to cook it and really eat it because he's trying to get into character. It's like, dude, it's a, it's a student film. You really don't need to work that hard. You don't need to go to the wall. Well, that, that, that's like that famous story with, um, from Marathon Man. Yeah. When... Uh, so Dustin Hoffman, it was with Dustin Hoffman and Laurence Olivier. Mm-hmm. Laurence Olivier was one of the great actors of the stage and screen actors of the 20th century. Yeah. And so Dustin Hoffman in the movie plays a marathon runner. 
and he's always jogging, really? jogging, jogging, jogging. Exactly. Really? Yes. Is that why it's called Marathon Man? No, that's not. Um, anyway, I so was, I thought it was because you know what I really thought it was. Yes, I thought it was because he's he's always eating marathon bars okay. in the movie. Let's, let's let's get farther away from the story. Okay, so then Laurence Olivier plays the bad guy. Yeah. Anyway, so um, uh, so in order to get into one of the scenes, doesn't often is running around the block because he's got to yeah. get himself winded and get himself yeah. kind of a little bit sweaty, whatever. And so Olivier, who is one of the masters, one of the greats of all time, all time. says to doesn't often, you know, what are you doing? He says. Well, I I need to jog so mm-hmm. that I can get into this scene and get ready totally. for it. He says, "Why don't you just act?" Yeah, <laughs> that's why they call it acting. Yes, right on. Anyway, uh, Wade, uh, we're about to talk about uh, one of my favorite films of last year. Yes, her. Yes. <laughs> you know what? You know what I love? You know, here's why I love this movie. In 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 in, 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 in three in three three. This seconds. was this was Lafka's number one film. Uh, tied with Gravity. Yep. Um, I love this film because it is. Utterly charming and dreamlike and provocative and emotional, mm-hmm. while at the same time telling society we are full of crap. Yep. Right? Uh-huh. Telling us about how our gadgets have completely disassociated totally. everybody from other humans and from relationships it's and a, from caring it's and from a, connecting. When you consider that this movie is mostly close ups of Joaquin Phoenix. Who, by the way, is not, you know, Joaquin Phoenix is a, is a movie star in spite of how he looks, not because of how he looks. Let's remember, Joaquin Phoenix is not a guy whose face just warms you when you see it 20 feet high. It's a face that sort of has to earn your love and admiration, and, which is why he's such a great actor, because he does it. You know, he fights through these very odd, almost off-putting features and compels you because he's a great actor. It is mostly that face talking to uh, the disembodied voice of Scarlett Johansson. I mean, when you think about it, is there anything in concept more uncinematic? There really isn't. Well, no, there is. Uh, well, a few things. A, a, a guy sitting in a chair for four <laughs> hours uh, against a black screen in the dark. Sure. That's but uncinematic. It's uncinematic, but here... How about this? A guy staring at a watch. <laughs> okay, great. Well, here's another one. <laughs> oh, thank you. But somehow, you know, Spike Jones took this wonderful, meaningful, poignant very prescient and you know forward thinking and all about now screenplay and he made it work in a really cinematic way I mean it's a beautiful the art direction of this film is magnificent oh it's great it's just art directed to the end of the earth it's beautiful it takes place in the slightly slightly near future just just barely yeah now some of some of it they shot in uh, Shanghai but a lot of it they shot in LA and they just they futurized L.A. just a little bit. Oh, it's just wonderful. And the costumes, too. They, 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 they futurized the costumes, the wardrobe, yep. just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Joaquin Phoenix is great. It's, it, has, it, it has a lot to say about how we live now without hitting you over the head with fantastic. being some like, oh, we're this little in-the-moment film that's going to scold fantastic. you for uh, being on your phone too much. Fantastic. It's a great film. It is. I love it. One of the best films of last Glorious. year. Glorious. Uh, all right, so let's do a little bit of music. Yep. Uh, we have um, Toto. You know what? You know Toto. They 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 were lame for so mm. many years. But dun, on dun, Family dun, Guy, dun, 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 dun. on Family Guy, they used um, Africa. Yeah, that's what I was just humming. And uh, it keep humming because that's what people want to hear. Dun, 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 dun. That's great. Um, they used Africa on an episode of Family Guy, mm-hmm. and I, I listened to it going, you know what? I think I like this song. What happened? <laughs> what have I become? Now, now Toto's they, their album, the Africa album, won like the Grammy for best album. I know it was hugely successful yeah. and, and very critically acclaimed. But they're a little bit cheesy. 
But uh, I think now they're getting a little bit of a, uh, a little bit of another look, mm-hmm. a bit of a reconsideration. Anyway, we have Toto Live in Poland. This is the 35th anniversary of Toto. This was done in 2013 in Poland. And you get all their big hits, obviously, Africa and Stop Loving You and uh, Rosanna. Don't sing Rosanna. I'm not. Good, I, what, I wa- what I was going to play part of is, uh, is Straight No Chaser's uh, 12 Days of Christmas medley. You ever heard that? No, we're not doing that. It, no, from the group Straight No Chaser, it's an a cappella group. They, they sing 12 Days of Christmas. Yes. And it. Um, what does this have to do with Toto? Because part of it is. It, it becomes. It's amazing. At a certain point in their 12. It, people should go online and just find this. Straight yeah, No Chaser, 12 Days of Christmas. It, near the end of it, they, the, the, the music from 12 Days of Christmas becomes Africa. Dun, 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 dun. On the fourth day of Christmas. It's really funny. It's really funny. It's brilliant. It's genius. <laughs> Every once in a while, you'll hear it actually played around Christmas time, and, and you just go, "This is bizarre and amazing. Why have I never heard this before?" Okay, uh, Dio. Oh, as in Ronnie James? Yes, heavy metal no. band I never liked, huh? Yeah, I, I, you were supposed to say uh, no, as in uh, like Shmuley. <laughs> Shmuley Dio. Shmuley Dio. Uh, this is from 1993. This was in uh, London's Hammersmith Apollo. Uh, Holy Diver, you might know some of these. Uh, one one of the tracks here is called Drum Solo. Ah, yes. Which I'm going to guess is probably the drum solo. Anyway, uh, stand up and shout. I was never a huge uh, Dio fan, so if you like it, go for it. Uh, it's on Blu-ray, but again, this this is a 21-year-old uh, concert, so it doesn't look super Blu-ray. But uh, if you like it, dig it. One Direction... Uh, Reaching for the Stars Part 2 The next chapter An unofficial biography of One Direction This is uh, The story of the band And uh, It includes tour footage from uh, the UK And Mexico and Melbourne, Miami One Direction will be gone soon No one will care about them Dreadful. And uh, after a while, you know what? Look, with bands like this, they are an nobody abomination. even cares about their music. All they care about is who they're dating. Yeah. Like, oh my God, uh, Harry Styles was seen with uh, Taylor Swift. Oh, really? How, can you name one of their songs? No. <laughs> true. But they were seen really with uh, Taylor Swift. That's, That's all really that true. That's true. Whatever. All right. Um, we, uh, are we done? Because this no, is we got. Well, let me blow through some some uh, some foreign language stuff. And we'll do the TV, and then uh, that should just about wrap it up. Um, Tanta Agua is a uh, film movement release. Uh, definitely worth checking out. This is a Spanish-language film that was made through an unholy alliance of uh, Uruguay, Mexico, Netherlands, and Germany. Don't ask me how that all worked out. It's the only way they could raise money for it. Story of a father and his kids on vacation, and a uh, father basically just struggling to be a better dad, and his kids trying to grow up. Uh, it's a really, really good film by uh, Ana Guevara and Leticia Jorge. You really get a, a wonderful sense of uh, women directors get bringing something to the material that uh, man would not. So that is absolutely lovely. Uh, then you get a, uh, this, this fantastic comedy called Viola by Matias Pinheiro. Uh, this is a Cinema Guild release. And a fant- actually, he and the, his, his actress do a, a great audio commentary on here that you definitely should, uh, should listen to. Um, you know, I've never heard of Matias Pinheiro before, but I'm looking forward to him before. This all takes place in Buenos Aires, and it's about a young woman who becomes part of a, uh, a local Shakespeare company. And uh, it just, it, it's, it's all about the kind of backstage interactions that happen at that part. Uh, artists in Brazil, uh, it, you know, it's just a, it's a lovely, honest look at uh, a, a, an environment that's probably, you, you know, the same all around the world. 
And uh, then we also have the last time I saw Macau. A friend of mine just moved from Macau to Hong Kong, so I always have interesting uh, interest in uh, anything that has anything to do with Macau. And uh, this is a, a detective movie that's a, kind of a docudrama thing. Uh, this is also from Cinema Guild, and um, it is, uh, it's kind of noirish, I guess is a better way to put it. Uh, dealing with a guy trying to solve a kidnapping in Macau of a friend, and uh, it feels a little bit, uh, a little bit bogey. Uh, and I don't mean bogus, I mean as in Humphrey Bogart, and that is always a good thing. Uh, Simon and the Oaks, directed by Lisa Olin. We're on a, a female uh, directing kick right now. Simon and the Oaks is a really, really good movie. This is, a, uh, this is based on events around Jewish children that were harbored in Sweden uh, to, uh, you know, when, uh, who, to sort of save them from, their, uh, their, from the fate that was befalling their families in Denmark and in, uh, and in Norway, which were both invaded by the Nazis. Sweden, of course, was neutral at the time. And uh, this was not exactly an act of neutrality, but a lot of Swedish families were clearly not neutral. And it's the story of a, of a kid named Simon, who is one of these kids, and uh, all about his background and uh, what he discovers as he grows up. And it is, uh, it is a lovely film. It was released this last year. Got almost no traction. Definitely deserves to be discovered again. It uh, made a few festivals, but did not really uh, do much in, in theaters. So definitely discover that one. And lastly, Gloria. Uh, a lot of people love this movie. I didn't particularly love it. I respect the lead performance, but it is, uh, eh, you know, uh, just one of those movies that I, I just can't, it just feels too familiar. Um, uh, Gloria is a, an older woman. Uh, this is Argentine, I believe it is. And uh, the, Gloria is like an older, or, or is it Chilean? It's Chilean or Argentine? I forget which one. Might be Chilean. Anyway, she's an older woman. She's retired. She's divorced. She's trying to be young again. She hooks up with some old dude and thinks she's got like the her new dude, and it doesn't really work out. And it's just it's a it's 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 just sort of going through her life, and she just does not want to age, and she's just trying to be like a young woman as an older woman. And uh, you see her naked a lot in this thing, and I really wish I hadn't. I don't mean to be rude or sound sexist, but some people simply should not be nude on film, and. Uh, I, I will say, as wonderful an actress as, uh, as she is, and I'm going to try to pronounce her name, uh, Paulina Garcia. Did I get that right? Anyway, she's a wonderful actress, but, you know, this movie just feels like another one of those give-me-an-award movies. I'm just going to act for an hour and a half. Anyway. Wait, we have uh, Wolverine Weapon X, Tomorrow yeah. Dies Today. This is uh, based on the uh, comic book series, which has been animated and turned into a Blu-ray. Yay. Uh, in, in, this, uh, in this one here, Wolverine uh, dies and never comes back. Ah. Actually, the Wolver- actually, they are killing off They Wolverine, are killing off Wolverine, yeah, Which I is just that. a way of saying, uh, we're going to kill him off and bring him back. And exactly. Then, and a bunch of 15-year-olds will buy all the comics and then yeah, be, yeah. be surprised when he comes back alive. Yaka, yaka. Anyway, uh, this is okay. I think some of the Batman stuff has been better. Batman, Batman, the Batman animated stuff has been on a real roll recently. Yeah. Um, also, we have Perry Mason Movie Collection Volume 2. This is just uh, three DVDs packaged together. This includes uh, six movies, uh, the names of which will mean nothing to anybody. Um, but this, this guy, they got some good guest stars in these. Now, there was a time back in the day when each of the networks had their own Movie of the Week division. Yeah, all true. They, it was their MOW division, and all they would do is worry about Movies of the Week. 
and Perry Mason came from that sensibility. Yes, he did. Are these uh, movies good? Uh, you know, if you love uh, Perry Mason, why not? If you don't love Perry Mason or never heard of him, I wouldn't even bother. Uh, we also have Eastbound and Down. I don't know what's happening with this show. This is the uh, fourth and final season. The show started really hot. Danny McBride became like, uh, he had a moment, he was in that like Jonah Hill group, you know, where he was like the hot comic. Actually, yeah. I actually saw Danny McBride at, uh, where did I see Well, he wrote, he wrote, he wound up writing uh, Your Highness and, and infuriated all of us because, for having to sit through it. And I think, uh, That's the worst. I think we tried to murder him, didn't we? I, 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 I know I tried to. Yeah. Actually, I saw Danny McBride at, um, what is that sushi place on the corner of Hollywood and Highland? Uh, Katsuya. Yeah, I'll, no, like I would Katsuya? know that. Huh? Like I would know that. Yes, you would. Yeah. Anyway, so I'll be having sushi there. Anyway, uh, so Eastbound and Down, uh, it's a little more energized because they see the end is near. They want to end on a high. So there's definitely a couple of good episodes in there. But uh, season three is probably the worst season, if you ask me. Uh, but anyway, so this is season four, the final season of the HBO series. Check that out. Nice. Uh, I got two more to talk about. One is a complete fifth season of Barney Miller. Now, a couple weeks ago, I sent Wade, I sent Wade a link to a video mm-hmm. of Hal Linden, who was the star of Barney Miller, mm-hmm. wishing Abe Vigoda a happy 90th birthday. The greatest thing in the world. And Abe Vigoda, like, dances, and he does a little jig because he's Abe Vigoda, and he's the best. Yeah. I like Barney Miller. It was a, Barney Miller, to me, was a very good B sitcom. It wasn't one of the great sitcoms out there. It wasn't all in the family. Uh, but it was a very enjoyable B sitcom. Mm-hmm. And it all takes place at the 12th Precinct, Wade. The 12th Precinct in Greenwich Village. Totally. It's good stuff. Barney Miller. And then finally, we have, uh, at least finally on my end, we have, which comes in its own beautiful little orange uh, tote bag, we have Orange is the New Black. Yeah. It came in this giant tote bag with a bunch of crap and a screwdriver, and they really went to town with all the... All the uh, the persuasions, they as they did. call this stuff. They did. Uh, this is um, the first season. This was nominated for a bunch of uh, Golden Globes, including Best Actress. Um, you know, this show is a bit more of an acquired taste than something like um, House of Cards, the other Netflix original show. I don't know that I really buy all this. It's a little bit, uh, you know, it was made by the uh, creator of Weeds. Yep. So it's a little bit over the top. It's just a little bit comical. So it's not. It's a bit of an, as I say, it's a bit of an acquired taste. But uh, it's fine. It's based on a, on a memoir about this uh, woman from Brooklyn who winds up uh, going to a federal penitentiary. Yep. And she, uh, you know, she's there with the guards and the other ladies in the penitentiary. And uh, you know, people. Some people love this show. This is more of a love or hated show than uh, House of Cards. House it, of Cards was like pretty much universally yeah. loved. Yeah. Well, Orange is the New Black. I've I have not watched and gotten into, so I'm sure I will. Uh, I'll have. I'll take this opportunity to do that. Um, and then, uh, real quickly on my end, let me uh, get through some new Megahertz Networks releases. Uh, Megahertz uh, usually does all the uh, foreign language television stuff. Really good titles this time. Uh, we've got uh, Kennedy's Brain, which is uh, from a uh, Henning Mankel uh, uh, bestseller, 
this is a great, great production. This is uh, two DVDs, about three hours long, a German production uh, based on one of these Henning Mangled novels uh, about a woman who's an anthropologist who, uh, or an archaeologist, sorry, an archaeologist, who uses her archaeological skills to solve her son's murder in this globe-spanning uh, investigation. Really good, really interesting, very well-directed, excellent production value, first-rate performances. Could not uh, be any better. It's really, really good. Uh, that is Kennedy's Brain, based on the uh, Kenning Mankel novel. And then there's also a the German miniseries, Crime Stories, which is based on uh, some writings by Ferdinand von Schirach, don't know who that is. Uh, uh, but anyway, it's about a defense attorney and all of these horrible, horrible cases that he defends. These, these people who are, just represent all walks of life and nationalities and crimes. And it's, it's, uh, this is not like an American production where you're like, boy, I hope he gets them off or I hope they, you know, if they're guilty, they get what's coming to them. This is a character study. It's not even about whether they're guilty or not. It's, it's not about whether he gets them off. It's not a whodunit. It's not law and order. This is all about looking inside people's souls. It is really well written, beautifully photographed, really first-rate television. Uh, I wish we had miniseries like this here. Really, really good. And then lastly, uh, from the megahertz front, uh, The Spider, which takes place in 1949-1950 uh, and uh, in Copenhagen. And it's all, it's sort of the shadow of World War II and Nazi occupation still has cast a very, very long shadow on, uh, on Danish society. And uh, it's, you know, trying to sort of get over all of the, the leftover gunk that that left, which is a lot of crime and a lot of black marketeering, and uh, it is, uh, it is a, it's pretty gritty, and really, really well done. It's on three DVDs, a, a miniseries that lasts in somewhere in the neighborhood of about six, seven hours, and uh, really first rate, really, really good. Uh, also, really excellent production value there. And then lastly, National Geographic. Uh, we don't. We we very infrequently get National Geographic stuff, but there are a lot of these that are. Uh, these are worth mentioning. Lost Faces of the Bible. These are all productions that were originally aired on the National Geographic Channel. Come in the uh, the archetypal, uh, unmistakable yellow packaging. That yellow spine that just screams at you. So you can't miss these things if you go to see them at a Best Buy or something. Uh, Lost Faces of the Bible is uh, essentially an archaeological revisitation of uh, four ancient skulls that were unearthed in the, in the Bible lands and uh, using that as kind of a prism to investigate what, you know, fact and fiction and scripture and, and history and all that. Uh, Killer Quest is uh, a wildlife documentary uh, all about wolves in, uh, in their hunting season when they're going after the, uh, the buffalo. And uh, this was shot in Canada. And uh, mostly about great photography. Can't say I'm really a fan of wolves. I think they're nasty. Did I mention that we have a, uh, a, a mangy, sick, geriatric... Uh, Don't call your wife mangy, sick, A mangy, geriatric. sick, geriatric coyote that likes to nap under the lemon tree in our backyard. Did I mention that? You have, you have a lemon tree? Well, it's a sick lemon tree. Maybe that's the reason. It's, it's, a, it's dying. The lemon tree's almost dead. Those you know really... bees love meat? But this, this, it's, like, it's like a dog. Every time, like we show that we show the we show my daughter that we you know like bring her to the window and go look at the coyote. She goes woof woof. So she thinks it's our dog. Did Did you know bees love meat? Do what? Bees love meat. Bees? Yes. So I was having okay. Like 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 as in bzz, yes. honeybees. Yes. So I was having a, a, a outside a lunch with a bunch of about a dozen people. Yeah. And a bee shows up. 
And I hate bees. You hate bees. I I've hate seen bees. you around bees. You'll never hear. You'll never see me. You run turn into a nervous Nancy around bees. I start running. You, you literally. You, you stand up bees. and you and you start swatting and you yes. run down the sidewalk, shrieking yes. like a schoolgirl. Yeah. So anyway, so lunch is almost over, and the only thing. <laughs> and I'm not kidding. It's true. No, it is true. I hate bees. You flip out. So the only thing uh, left on the table, meat-wise, was like half a piece of chicken. So the bee comes, and I'm, I'm and I'm stuck in this table, I'm about to freak out, and and uh, the piece of the half a piece of chicken was near me. And one of the women at the table says, eat the piece of chicken now. I said, what? Those bees hate meat. Bees are attracted to the meat. And I went, what do you bees? The bees eat like flowers or something. Bees don't eat meat. Bees aren't like carnivores. He goes, no, eat the meat now. I'm telling you, bees don't like meat. So I'm like, I'm full, but I'll eat the meat. I ate the meat. Bee went away. Really? Bee went away. And then uh, she was saying how it's like in the South, in outdoor barbecues, they will take a piece of meat and they will put it like, like you know, 50 feet away. And the bees will wind up gravitating towards that piece of meat so that your, your outdoor lunch can proceed peacefully with that Wow. And who knew? Who knew? Bees like meat. <sighs> that won't work for Mike Rotman. That, he'll go the other direction from the meat because he's a vegetarian. Okay, yeah, never he mind. He eats bees. All weird. right, and then last two titles from National Geographic. Uh, Into the Cosmos Collection, which is a little bit exploitative because they obviously are taking advantage of the fact that the new Cosmos production is, is hot on television. So they, uh, they went and, and threw up uh, a bunch of uh, uh, productions that they did for the National Geographic Channel that are all about, you know, storms in the Milky Way and stars and comets and all this kind of stuff. And they're fine, but it's not, it's not like the new Cosmos. So um, that's a three-disc set called Into the Cosmos. And then lastly, uh, the Best of Nature Collection, which is a six-disc set in three titles called Untamed Americas, Great Migrations, and Secret Life of Predators. And uh, this is uh, basically just a whole bunch of programs all about uh, nature and animals and uh, all of it really, really well photographed. It uh, doesn't really matter what's on here. If you love nature photography and if you love the National Geographic approach, uh, which is very scholarly and intelligent and well-written and time and you know very painstaking and, and time-consuming to put this stuff together, uh, you will really appreciate this. The only downside, it's not on Blu-ray. So, uh, and you watch it and you're like, that is so well shot, I wish that was on Blu-ray. But that being said, best of nature, probably some of the best nature documentaries you're ever going to be able to get on, uh, on DVD of any kind. And with that, Mark, we are done. Any final thoughts? Any outros you want to uh, you want to test? Here's my outro. I want to test this outro, and okay. I've been working on this. Test it. Goodbye.